0: Hey everybody, Jim and Aaron back with another commission podcast. Uh, Josh Wilson, the the madman from Saxpaha, North Carolina. He is uh, he he, he hit us up for screamers, and then uh, PCU. Uh, this might be his makeup commission from PCU, <laughs> right? The <laughs> Wrath uh, of Khan, 1982. Perhaps uh, the finest Star Trek film ever made.
1: I'd never seen this movie going in. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I was like, what the
0: fuck? No, okay, okay. I've seen it a whole lot. All right, uh, for my money,
1: I, I think it's the best one of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, like old gen, new gen, yeah, all of it. Oh, you want to make a case for Nemesis? No, or I actually wait, really Contact. love First Contact. Yeah, Nemesis. yeah. fuck Nemesis. I'm with uh, First Contact. You know, First Contact is a little more nostalgic for me because I was, I, I like the crew of the the Next Generation right. better, sure. frankly. Uh, sorry to all you long-term, you know, old-school Star Trek fans. I also really, really love the original series crew. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, but... I have almost equal affection for those two. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, First Contact being the first of the Next Generation movies, if you don't count the Horrible Generations film. (laughs) Yeah, if you just Uh, conveniently
0: (laughs) rewrite history.
1: Well, the first of the purely... Okay. How about that? Right. First with no taint from the original series. No Shatner taint. (laughs) Yep. Although that was a good bridge. But yeah, I, I think this is easily the finest of the... It's a good bridge. That bridge killed Captain Kirk. I think it was series. a bad bridge. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. The bridge fell,
0: and he... He, he always writes himself in back in
1: with the books, like The Return. <laughs> sure. I mean, come on. And then I think he did it again with a sequel to The Return.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you think he actually wrote any of those books? Because uh, when I was a kid, I read his... Uh, I can't even remember what the, the the futuristic detective shit that he he wrote...
1: Yeah, the tech like, series, the tech wars and is tech Is that what it is? Yeah, I feel like I have that, one of those. I feel
0: like that shit's gotta be ghostwritten. I don't see Shatner sitting be. down with the attention span to write a novel. Right. Uh anyway, I think it's I think it's the best. I, my personal favorite is Star Trek four. Really? But okay. I think that, hmm. that is you have to be a pretty big fan of Star Trek, otherwise it's just a fucking farce.
1: Okay, so you're saying you know, it's not the best. Star it's Trek not the best, four, but it is. Your it's favorite. certainly
0: my favorite. The one that consistently has a smile on my face, and it's right. just really funny. Like mm-hmm. I'll never get tired of like I guess like Buzz Lightyear style diluted Spock not understanding profanity and then clumsily trying to use it, and uh-huh. Shatner's reaction the same and. Uh, you know, Scotty trying to talk into a mouse—that stuff, solid gold, man. And and I'm, I'm just in in the same way that I kind of half, uh, you know, half seriously believe that Rocky ended the Cold War. Mm-hmm. I I more seriously believe that the Star Trek Four saved whales. Okay, like you know. Uh, I'm not saying the whales are fine. I actually don't know. But I, I definitely know they're better better shaped than we were in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we we, sh- we should talk about uh, – we, we should give Josh his due here. Uh, he says, Anub- Anubis21, back to feed my slightly worrying obsession with commissioning podcasts. Uh, I had a difficult decision to make because I was tempted to have you talk about aliens. But then I thought about my introduction to science fiction movies. And it all begins with Star Trek to the Rathacon. Khan. Hmm. Even more so than The Next Generation, which was prevalent during my formative years from the time I was 7 to 14 years old, Rathacon has always been the shining light of the Star Trek universe and the best movie in the series by a long shot. It began the trend of kick-ass, better quality, even-numbered Star Trek movies and features the best villain to date. Sorry, General Chang, Borg Queen, Dr. Sauron, Voyager, or V'ger, Cybok, Tom Hardy, Christopher Lloyd, and those stretched-faced assholes from Insurrection. (laughs) One thing though, do you feel that Chekhov's remix hurts the film, or is that being me too much of a Trekkie and no one gives a shit? Wait, Chekhov's remix?
1: Yeah. What does he mean
0: with Chekhov's remix? I'm, I, I don't really know, but I'm guessing the fact that, um, I don't that they really this is the one where I don't, I don't know. I need, I mean, I might need to follow up on that. We might need to do a drop because you're, I, I'm guessing. Uh he means that star you know, Chekhov is not actually part of the crew, he's a secondary part, and he's kind of a minor villain and okay. that kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um Do you guys agree that Rathicon is the pinnacle of Star Trek universe? Uh anyway, Aaron, I know you consider yourself a Star Trek expert, so be prepared to catch good natured hell in the forums from me if you screw that up because I am as well. well. I don't know about that because I don't know that I can bring some deep lore. Um I read some behind the scenes about this. This is written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who was brought in uh, by Bennett to kind of save the franchise, and he re- he he wrote this script in 12 days, and he consciously decided that the big problem in Star Trek: The Movie, correctly, I think he diagnosed, was an overly reverential tone, like mm-hmm. just too much like standing and sh- slack jawed awe of the Enterprise, too much shots of weird energy yeah. clouds, and just too much Gene Roddenberry crawling up his own ass. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I want to bring some humor. I want to bring it back to like some kind of military tradition." And he, you, you see a lot of like overly naval touches. Like yeah. at one point, the captain's piped onto the bridge. There's like a ship's uh-huh. bell keeping time. Um, you know, I really noticed when I was you know putting my critical hat on how much this movie, especially the last act, owes to like submarine movies. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, and that kind of those touches have. Really influenced the movies, like they they kept that consistent look and feel as far as the military uniforms and that kind of style up through Star Trek Six, mm-hmm. and even you know a lot of the the ship to ship combat in the later series I think owes a lot to its, of its heritage to the to what Nicholas Meyer did. He also uh, wrote and directed Star Trek Six and wrote uh, Star Trek Four. Uh, the other interesting thing is that this is the movie that kind of made James Horner's career. He went on to not just you know I'm just going to mention stuff he won Academy Awards for Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Titanic, Beautiful Mind, Avatar, Aliens, uh, and then he tragically died in a, a plane wreck I think last year. Hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, he obviously had a huge storied career and it arguably began in Star Trek too. Um, also, other thing about Nicholas Meyer, he's one of the head writers for Star Trek Discovery.
1: Interesting. I had
0: kind of been slowly over the last year dialing my expectations down for that series, Mm -hmm. but damn it, you know, that guy knows how to write a start, some Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it makes me necessarily more excited for that show. I still like, you know, after enterprise and Voyager, which both of which I didn't care for enterprise, which I really didn't like, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how excited I am for Cue the fan, saying if you made it to season two and three, Enterprise
0: got real good. But No, I bet it did. Uh, sure. The big problem I have at CBS and also at CBS's online service, yeah. like mm-hmm. I just don't know how much love it's going to get. Um, anyway, that has neither here nor there to do with Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about this. Um, I think you can't. You have to begin the conversation about Star Trek Two with the villain. Because I think Josh is dead on, and this is – if you want to give an argument to, like, the Borg Queen, maybe she's the best villain, if you're sympathetic to that. But I think (laughs) it's – I think Khan is uh, heads and shoulders of uh, the best Star Trek villain in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, I agree with that. And I started thinking, like, man (laughs) – they kind of lucked out that they cast Ricardo Montalban in this thing and he was able to crush it because he was just this one off guy on a Star Trek series and he did Fantasy Island, which I understand is, is highly regarded. But imagine, like, you know, if they'd cast some goofball like, yeah. like, like, um, I don't Shatner, know. let's say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Shatner... Well, Chris, I don't know, like, that's the thing about... He, Recon- he's
1: good, he's fine. This
0: that's movie. the thing about Khan is he can go toe-to-toe with, with with Kirk on that Shatnerian scale. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not doing subtle things when his face is dripping with rubber cement at the end and covered in blood, and he's talking about, right. for, with my last breath, I spit at thee. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, he's a fantastic th- villain. I, I think, you know, the, the personal nature of this... Uh, really services the movie well, like the, the grudge that he 's got with Kirk, yeah, and I think it was smart to bring him back for that and you can
0: even like you know is the grudge deserved because mm-hmm. you know Kirk left him there on a very nice planet uh in lieu of executing him or taking him to space prison and left one of his crew members that he 'd fallen in love with pretty good deal like its is it kirk 's yeah. fault that the planet well one of the planets exploded
1: and fucked up the orbital mechanics, no. He's just angry that Kirk never, never stopped by, never stopped by to say hi. I
0: mean, fair point. Chekhov and his captain, uh, what was the captain's name? Uh, The captain Eel Ear. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they're surveying the Ceta Alpha system, and they don't just even do a long range scan of Khan. Like, wouldn't you want to keep an eye out on a criminal mastermind like that? Like like Yeah, like what yeah, if, if you're Khan Chekhov, is, is, sure. Yeah, like what if what if Khan well no, I mean just Starfleet. Like I don't think Kirk did that in secret, did he? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe I don't a, remember the original. I wonder episode. if that's that's a plot that space seed, if that's a if that's a plot point that, that Kirk kept this off the book so Starfleet wouldn't harass him. But at him. the
1: very least, Chekhov should know, right? Yeah.
0: Like just check you know, it's like if you if you more, uh you know, Lex Luthor on an abandoned planet, uh-huh. how do you know he hasn't cobbled together warp drive and he's not Breeding right. another race of super soldiers, he's going to take over the Federation again.
1: Yeah. Uh, especially when he's got the superior intellect. Yeah. Although not much of that. Not much of that. Uh, yeah. In we can talk about that <laughs> eventually, but sure. Uh, the thing is, he
0: looks the part. He looks like he's like set his own little Mad Max colony down there. I mean, mm-hmm. now that I'm watching with adult eyes, it's like, it's kind of impressive that they've managed to survive. It, that That desert planet looks like it's just hell. There's nothing living or growing there other than those fucking eels. And yet they've got 50, 60 strong genetically modified super soldiers just chilling out.
1: Yeah. So are they – I guess they would also inherit his genes. So they would be genetically modified or or at least some of them would be depending on the dominant genes that (laughs) – Well, see, I always thought that these were his children. How they express. But I think the movie makes it explicit that these are actually
0: fellow members of his – Oh, well then – okay military organization because okay. he said some of these men have sworn their lives to me over 200 years ago right right uh now one or two of them like some of them look pretty young maybe yeah. they're his kids and i think
1: i want to say like the one who dies on the bridge is probably his son or something yeah because like he's, he's like i will avenge you
0: yeah it seems like he was more than a little attached to him over uh, like no one else like there's shit all <laughs> these right. dudes died and nobody else gets too tearful go to each one yeah. i will avenge you yeah. and i will avenge you that's why he and, lost that's true. He didn't. That's, that's why he set a 999 second timer on the Genesis. <laughs> so he had he to go. Can. All he had to do a loop around the ship and say, "You're being avenged. Just want you <laughs> to know, you too got you buddy."
1: Yep. And then get back to the bridge so he can watch it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he's hobbled, like he's got his arm mm-hmm. pinned to his chest, and
1: doesn't seem like leg he can shot really to walk. Yeah.
0: I mean, he can barely fit that weird metallic cylindrical Rubik's cube going. Like, yeah, it was a real struggle for him.
1: Yeah. What's up with that that system? For, I have no idea. So so first of all, it's a system that's that's connected to the Genesis device, that interfaces with it.
0: Yeah, it's wired do into Starships the panel. Do Starships have
1: those? Like, I suppose the research station would have to communicate with it somehow. Yeah. So maybe they just use the standard Starfleet tech right. to do so. Yeah. Um, and I
0: buy the – that's another thing. It's like I buy the Khan and his people – are smart enough to figure out how to use a starship yeah. given two or three days of travel time, like, and they're yes. not experts. Like Kirk, right. pretty handily fights them in it's in a fair fight, uh-huh. which makes sense because maybe Khan is a super genius, but also, you know, Kirk's got twenty plus years of actual Starfleet
1: experience. So, <laughs> right. uh, I-, I think the other thing about that mechanism, though, is it's. It's essentially like the Windows dialog pop-up that asks you are you sure? <laughs> like as you twist each ring, it just wants to make sure you have to think about what you're doing. Do you are you sure you, you want to delete these files? Are you really sure? Type delete, you know. Right. Are you sure you want to create life on this planet? Right. Really? Are you sure? And it asks 5 times and then it's like, okay. Life on this planet. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Genesis is damn
0: near magic. It's already kind of baseline oh, yeah. magic. Like, I don't understand what kind of fucking Genesis wave can actually rewrite a planet's surface and, and and make life where there wasn't there or take pre-existing life and reconstruct it. But for damn sure, I don't expect a torpedo designed to work on a planet to explode in the middle of a fucking nebula mm. and assemble a whole planet.
1: Yeah. Like, Thanks. how does, does that work? Yeah. I, you, you really have to ignore that at the end.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I, I, I don't know. I mean, know. I guess they're in a I mean,
0: nebula, it's... which is there's enough raw materials there that it can collapse I, into. Yeah, it I feel like it's, science, a, science, it's science, a metaphor, science, right? Animal.
1: Like, it, it's more about metaphor than it is about actual science. Uh, it's just trying to say, look, there's there are kind of proto prototypical uh, planet stuff here. Yeah. We can use this Genesis device to create life from it. Um, you know, just as they were doing on the lifeless planets, except taken to the extreme.
0: I wish I had seen this like in theaters as a as a kid because I I didn't see I didn't get really into Star Trek until I was twelve or three. Whenever whenever Star Trek the Next Generation came out, then mm-hmm. I kind of backed back into. And I remember how excited I was when I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna watch the fucking Star Trek the motion picture." Yeah. And then like, what the fuck is this?
1: <laughs> It pretty bad.
0: I didn't know that you had, you know, it would be many years later until I figured out that you have to be drunk and or high to enjoy Star Trek The Motion <laughs> Picture. Um, but what, because what I'm really curious is the opening with the Kobayashi Maru simulation. Yeah, did that land? Did people were people actually like holy shit? People, what the hell? There goes there goes uh, Chekhov. There goes Sulu. There uh-huh. what well, Chekhov. Yeah, he was Sulu off. is dead. Spock is uh-huh. dead. Uhura bites beginning. it.
1: Spock like which is a nice little bookend. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I I, I I was wondering that too. Like this is a seriously shitty way to start out a Star Trek movie if you don't know that's coming. But I this wonder. I
0: wonder if anyone bought that. Or if that's just like, oh, I don't know how – I mean, I I don't know how they're going to undo this, but they're going to definitely undo how this. How could you if
1: you saw, like, a preview for it, right? Yeah. Because you would have to know, okay, they're in it more than 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, and I feel like – and this might be unfair, mm-hmm. but I feel like that audiences are getting more sophisticated all the time. And yeah. every time you go back, like, 30 years – Things look a little bit shakier. Like like even though we were talking about this, um, the degree of difficulty for making a science f- fiction film is mm-hmm. so much higher. Like you can't get – unless you want to go like Star Wars, like just space fantasy, you can't get away with a line like – and then the planet exploded uh-huh. and it spirals like, wait, wait, time out. <laughs> How the fuck did a planet explode? Like I can see a sun exploding, but what is that? Is a planet made out of unstable uranium? Like what the fuck would cause a planet to explode?
1: Uh, uh, volcanoes.
0: Klingons blow up their home planet because they're mining and doing a whole bunch of dilithium antimatter bullshit. Fine. I can. But an but, uh, uninhabited planet just fucking exploding? What the hell? Yeah. But you could do that you could get away with that and and nobody bats an eye
1: right uh yeah, I don't know i i mean i I tend to ignore that stuff in these movies too because uh you, you like you said you know you can't you can't judge modern movies by the same standards right uh, or old movies by the same standards you would modern movies right even like you know it seems like if if one criticism I have for
0: Star Trek is it seems like, in an effort to paste over those problems, is starting in the next generation era in particular, they started really leaning into that that trekno babble. Yeah. Where they wouldn't say that the planet exploded. They would say that some kind of graviton wave from a nearby yep. inverted nebula hit it and shook yeah, it apart. Broke you know. it pieces, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It wouldn't just be the fucking planet. Or exploded.
1: destabilized its positron matrix. Yeah. And, and it. Imploded on itself, exactly. and I don't
0: know that that's an improvement. It's it's essentially right. just like, hey, these are a lot of sciencey words, and I got a f- honest to god cyborg saying them, so uh-huh. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Trust him; he's positronic.
1: Let me let me ask you. So we talked briefly about the the intro, the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, l- let's go back. I, I do want to talk more about the Kobayashi Maru, but let's go back to the very beginning, the intro, mm-hmm. uh, the credit sequence. It I have to say it leaves a little bit to be desired. But I think there's something like timeless and classic about just a star field with text on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, movies don't really do that. They want to spice up the intro a little bit or they do a late title card or something now. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen a thousand credit sequences and a lot of them are like this. They're just text telling you all the actors who you're about to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, How how do you feel about the intro to this? Because I almost feel like it sets an all right tone for this movie
0: no i enjoyed it and like i feel like we're a little bit jaded with Starfields ever since like windows oh, yeah. came out with the but but that was kind of for its day really cool in fact there it's was just a, white dots
1: but I, I think it looks cool
0: but i don't think that that was necessarily easy to do back then yeah. and like i think there's some things like the genesis like when they do the simulation and the genesis effect like that shit was like state of the art yeah. back in the day mm-hmm. um you know, there's Just some like things like these
1: that, geodesic lattices and stuff. Right, like,
0: right. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's primitive by today's standards. It's like primitive by like mid '90s video game cutscene standards. But back in the mm-hmm. day, it, it looked like a million bucks and like the like the retinal scan and all that stuff. I mean, that's the thing about Star Trek. It's hilariously outdated when you look at like you know we, we were talking about uh, when Chekhov and his captain Captain Eel Eel Ear were talking to. Uh, Kirk's side piece and her son, like the image was all like losing its horizontal stability and shaking and warbling, and it's obviously yeah. this big fat CRT tube. And I'm like, <laughs> who knew that you know, twenty years after this movie had made, we'd vastly surpassed their you know monitor technology. But right. What are you going to do?
1: Yeah, you, how do you predict that stuff? That's
0: one of the things I think is so amazing about like the Rogue One, how they were able to essentially use the same graphics but some, and, and workstations and everything, but clean them up enough to make them look like they're brand new again. Hmm. Like, if you watch A New Hope, like, that shit's old. Like, you can see, like, the pixels and stuff. They took that same design and just, like, gave it a high definition. And, like, it's like the, you know, A New Hope Death Star Gunner remastered or whatever. Huh. I didn't uh, notice that. Yeah, it's, it's it's cleaned up and not old as shit looking. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't... I guess we should briefly talk about the plot. We we kind of already did. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it's because
0: I just want to make random Star Trek observations. Is kind of <laughs> what I want to do. The rest <laughs> me, of me too. Uh, like I have a lot of like little I do. observations I, I want to do. But I do.
1: sure, if you want to talk about the movie plot, like narrative wise and and thematically, I think we can go we can go there because there's a lot of. You know, tale of two cities in there. It's also a tale
0: of like, you know, this is Captain Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise no longer in their prime. You know, right. Kirk has accepted an, an admiral's position, which you know is a promotion, but it means he's not going to be out on the front lines anymore.
1: Yeah, and he's essentially
0: he's, dead. He needs he needs re- reading glasses because he's allergic to retin a or whatever the right the the magic. Right.
1: Rock... Retinix? Rock... Rockinox?
0: Rock... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> right. So, so McCoy gives him a pair of old reading glasses.
1: Yeah, um, which... I'm I'm shocked they don't have some kind of laser surgery right, right like they didn't because see that fixed coming. His fucking eyes. Or contact but, lenses? I guess it's a pill. Yeah. It's a pill you take. Yeah. Everything was a pill back then. Our I mean meals are going to be pills. I mean McCoy <laughs> can give an old
0: woman in Star Trek 4 a pill that regrows her kidneys. He can't just uh-huh. like give well, I guess he's allergic to the he's allergic the, the retina growing pill. Sucks. Um but, but, yeah, there's the theme of all these people are getting old and things are coming to an end. Yeah. And, like, Spock's death. That's another thing I want to talk about. Like, I think that Kirk's – that 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 William Shatner's performance during the funeral of Spock might be peak Shatner. Like, that yeah. was incredibly uh-huh. restrained for him. And it, it actually worked as a genuine human moment. Like, I uh-huh. I bought it that this guy who is in command of the starship and is admiral is just quietly losing his shit about losing his best friend. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's always also the element that, like, I, I appreciate about the Master and Commander series is, like, that these were good friends that were very, very different people. And they might not even have fully understand them to the very depths of their being because you know how do you understand someone as inscrutable as Spock and how can Spock right. understand someone as passionately human as 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 Kirk mm-hmm. but when he's given him his eulogy like that's a real genuine moment yeah and then Scotty fires that's up the bagpipes and watch out
1: <laughs> yeah I, I wondered in that scene like where they're shooting Spock out of a torpedo tube how how did they decide who gets to be in that room cuz it's a very small room right and like And you you gotta think that Spock dying has gotta be like
0: I mean I don't even know what the equivalent would be. It'd be like um I don't know Norman Schwarzkopf back dying in the like the mid two thousands or something. Like okay. everybody yeah. he's the he was the, the general in command of Desert Storm. Oh okay. Or like Colin Powell or something. Like he would be right. a big state funeral.
1: Yeah. You'd think a bunch of people from the ship. I mean, the crew's huge. The right. The crew's more than just the 40 or so people plus, you see in there.
0: Plus, this, and if you just want, I was thinking, like, I'm wondering if the Federation gave him shit for not bringing, you know, Vulcan's favorite son back to the castle yeah. they could have his yeah. big stage. Like, Maybe oh, really? Maybe he shot the him the at shot...
1: Vulcan. Maybe he shot him <laughs> at the planet. <laughs> and missed and
0: hit the Genesis. Like, uh, there wasn't a planet there a minute ago. Oh, that's right.
1: <laughs> they created the planet
0: uh-huh. in front of the path where they shot Spock. <laughs> right. Um. But, but I... I You're right, because not only that, not as incredibly popular, but to this crew, Spock was also their teacher.
1: Okay, yeah. Like, every one of the trainees, he was, like,
0: in charge of that whatever military unit. Right. So they would, like, yeah, you'd think that everybody would crowd in that torpedo tube and want to send him off. I would think so,
1: but it seemed uh, rather spacious uh, in there, or rather sparse.
0: It's also weird how many highly decorated Starfleet officers would be just lounging around in this teaching environment. Yeah, well, like Chekhov's I mean, what the only Sulu guy that was there? able to escape the gravity of Jim Kirk.
1: I, I guess so. I mean, Spock was like the captain of the Enterprise, right? Uh huh. So Spock was there just training his new cadets, which makes right. sense. And I guess, you know, Sulu is still assigned there. You is still assigned there on the Enterprise. So they're along for the ride. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, I
0: they're, you know speaking of the Master and Commander series, that was always a thing that the, you know, Jack Aubrey, whenever he went ship to ship, he had a little bit of latitude to bring, like, certain officers and, like, his, like, you know, his personal boat crew, and, like, he could t- take them from commission to commission, so maybe mm-hmm. since he's leaning in his naval history, you're just supposed to assume that Kirk would have a little bit of latitude, you know, Spock's in command, mm-hmm. Kirk's an admiral, and Kirk's keeping a few of his followers as his, like, personal entourage,
1: that's at like, do they not have free will? Are they not like, do they not want to be captains? Like, does Sulu not want to helm a real starship? Well, I imagine being, cool I imagine being an attache facility?
0: to a decorated admiral would be like that's probably a pretty quick way to get a captain's. You know, be to be a captain. We know Maybe he so. also eventually becomes a captain in Star Trek Six. He's yeah. commanding the Excelsior, I believe.
1: Yeah, something like that. Uh okay maybe But it he, gets I mean yeah, that's one of the it gets the... harder
0: and harder to explain why like I know that some some good bits of like Star Trek 3 and 6 are around, revolve around like getting the crew back together mm-hmm. uh from wherever they're at because and and like even the later next generation it's like okay fucking Riker is he ever going to be a captain or what you know
1: I think he does eventually turn into a captain. Yeah, yeah. And Worf think, is
0: on the D. De- like, how do you get Worf back from Deep Space Nine? Oh, well, he's right. on the Defiant for this big battle the Borg. Like, you have to, because these people on the flagship of the the Federation, you would think that all that bridge crew would be fast tracked to promotions of their what doing whatever right. the hell they
1: want to do. Right. The most famous ship in the fleet.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: Uh, but I don't know, but kind of going back to, you know, Spock's death and stuff there. There's a lot of thematic resurrection here. Like Kirk over the course of this movie is resurrected from his state of admiralty to the captain's seat where he thrives, where he feels like a kid again. Um, there's, there's Khan who's essentially resurrected from this isolation he's had on this planet. There's obviously the Genesis device, which brings life from lifelessness. Uh, and Spock, I think it's it's heavily alluded, as you said when we watched this movie, that Spock is going to be back. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you haven't seen number three, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think there's a lot of indication at the end of this movie that Spock is not gone forever. Almost too much.
0: Like, I was disgust- – mm-hmm. like, it's not quite like dirt hovering off of the coffin of Superman, but – Gwiz uh you've got the, him mind melding with McCoy and saying remember and then you've got uh you know him being shot to the Genesis planet which we know is rewriting the life's matrix and restoring things and right. then they give you that shot of like Spock's coffin at the end and I was making a joke is like oh wouldn't it be cool if like Leonard DeMoy's fist like punches through it
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, but and I guess so I did a little bit of research and I guess that initial audiences were so outraged that they killed Spock and, I'll, and also Leonard DeMoy made it a condition of being on this movie that you write me out I never want to put these fucking ears on again. Really? And, and he, then he went so, on to do four more. Well, he had so much fun doing this that he actually said, "You know what? I actually want to leave it out so I can come back." And I think he ended up directing Star Trek IV. So they kept on huh. like offering these carrots to keep these guys uh, engaged and involved. Yeah. Um, but audiences
1: go went ape shit. For Shatner, it was like, "Okay, we'll give you the size three girdle this time." <laughs> Size four, we know it made you look a little chubby. Size three, we'll do it. We promise. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. Uh, then we'll make sure your toupee budget is, is covered. Um, but where was I going? Oh, the audience was just flipping out how dark and depressing. Which yeah. I, you know, I think that you need a little bit of dark and depression in some of these trilogies. Like, yeah, people need to die and p- things need to change, or else there's there's eventually no stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went back and added specifically. Um, I th- I know for a fact they added the coffin scene okay. at-, at the end of the movie. And uh-huh. they shot that in a single day in like some overgrown park in the Golden Gate Bridge Park. They pumped a shit ton of fog at in it. Oh,
1: and- oh, the shot of him on the planet. Yeah, yeah, in-, yeah, yeah. in the coffin. In,
0: in the coffin. Uh and they added a couple other touches to make it the 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 to bring um, to to give mm-hmm. it a little bit more certainty, but I was asking like I just as if I'm a audience member, I guess I'm saying, oh yeah, he's gonna be back next movie, and of course, yeah, he kind of sort of is.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the search for Spock, right? And by the end of it, they have certainly found him.
0: But that's like for most of the movie, he's like yeah. some little boy slash teenage. Like so, like Leonard Demoy is in a shocking few scenes of Star. Oh, they also added right. the, that's the other thing they added Leonard Demoy's voiceover doing the. You know, yeah, bold the, to go mm-hmm. uh, at, to kind of give you another little bit of a uh, shot in the arm for the Spock Spock mourners.
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually like – so I was reading – obviously the uh, Tale of Two Cities is prominent in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kirk gets that as a, a birthday gift from Spock at the very beginning. He quotes the beginning line at the beginning of this movie. He quotes the end of the line or the end in of the, the book. Yeah. At the end of the movie, um, and there's a lot of stuff thematically that lines up with it. It really feels like this is a combination of both A Tale of Two Cities and Moby Dick, which is also seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's in Khan's cargo container on Seti yep. Off Five. Uh, kind
0: of amusing to William Shatner's is his white whale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: well, the Girdle budget was small, in the right? You, right. You know,
0: I thought here's the thing. I thought Shat this is this is still pretty pretty close to peak Shatner. Like yeah yeah, I remember thinking that he looked pretty old as as a kid, especially compared to like you know when I was fresh off watching the old series on reruns. Mm-hmm. But you compare him to like you know Shatner in Boston Legal or even Shatner oh, at the yeah. end of Star Trek Six or Generations, and like no, nah, he's still plausibly playing a kind of swashbuckling captain here.
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: he's he's borderline, but I mean, it's for still sure, works. he needs the, you know, like his his uh, his appetites and his hair pieces are legendary. Like this is his, <laughs> he was he was already in a girdle and a hairpiece season three of Star Trek the old series, right? So I don't think taking a few, I don't think T, a couple of years of T J Hooker <laughs> helped that situation any. Probably not.
1: <laughs> But, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's interesting because one of the themes in Tale of Two Cities, and I've not read the book. I, I did a lot of research and reading on it uh, about the book on Wikipedia. Um, and it, it was talking about, you know, the sacrifice at the end of that book that this specific character makes. Mm. Um, and, and how, you know, the whole thing's about the French Revolution and the sort of horrible lead up to the revolution and the way that the people were treated. Um, yeah, the hero, and, I can't remember what and, and his the, name, but he actually takes the place of the other character right.
0: and, and, and get, goes to the guillotine. Yeah, I had to read and, that and in And makes that high. sort of
1: noble sacrifice yeah. in the same way that Spock does in yes. this movie. Yeah. Um, and and it's, a lot of it is about kind of you know, the violence and the horrible things that have to happen in something like a revolution mm-hmm. uh, for something better to come of it, right? For the old ways to be left behind and something right. new um, to come out and be better. And I think that's one of the things that Kirk is... Is learning along the way is sort of like the consequences of his actions mm-hmm. actually matter. Like there, there are a lot of consequences for Kirk in this. Yeah, you go around fucking space chicks all the time. Right. You're going to get a space baby that you don't even know about. Yeah, you don't know about your space baby. You've got Khan, who is a guy that you exiled years ago, come back. Never to thought you never
0: thought about him again. You know? uh,
1: you've you've got the the sacrifice that Spock has to make because of. That guy, mm-hmm. um, and you also have the idea that Kirk doesn't follow regulations at the beginning of this, right? right. And which is what leads to kind of all the trouble here.
0: Yeah, if he'd have fucking raised his shields right. when Kirsty Alley started quoting him a chapter and verse, none of this would have ever happened, right? Because I- surely the Reliant is not as strong as the Enterprise. I can't imagine because it's like a research vessel. Yeah. I always liked that class of starship. I always thought that was a really cool looking starship. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like you the know, the Enterprise is the on flat. The top.
1: Huh? With the spoiler on top. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> and the twin nacelles slung low. It's li- yeah. it's a little bit more like, you know, conventional warship. Maybe maybe it is a, a tougher ship, but I always thought the Enterprise was always the flagship and one of the stronger ships. Mm-hmm. There's was always like, I remember reading some of the novels, there was like, you know, battle cruiser class that they would bring out in times of war, but like, you know, hmm. in times of peace, that Enterprise was always top dog. So if he fucking raises shields and charges phasers, and yeah. why wouldn't you? Like that's not a host. You're approaching a Federation ship, and for whatever reason, it's not communicating. Raise your shield. You don't have to blast them out of the sky. Right. right. Just At fucking raise your yourself. shields,
1: man. Yeah, I I don't know why Kirk doesn't do it, but he doesn't, and you know there are consequences to pay. One of them being Spock has to make this sacrifice. Right. Uh, and and I I think Kirk learns a lot about you know his his own behavior and how it affects both himself and other people. Uh, and by the end of this, he is more aware of it, at least.
0: There's a lot of... Because I've read the novelizations for all these books, oh, or yeah? these movies back in the day. And there's a lot of little details that never made it. I don't know if it made it into the screenplay, and just they they got cut. I noticed there's a director's edition that we decided not to watch. It was a little bit longer, and I'm like, eh. You know, let's watch the classic. But there's a lot of really cool touches about the relationship between Spock and Savick, that she's actually a half-Romulan that I get uh, that you know had a really rough upbringing. I think her mother was a like a Vulcan that was a slave that got abducted by the Romulans, and so she's like the pro you know, the uh, she's the the product of this like you know, slave rape deal, and that she's also got a lot of rough edges, mm-hmm. and she's all you know, Romulans are not as logical and, and and their culture hasn't beat yeah. all the emotion. So she's also got like, you know, still a savage okay. r- Romulan so heart beating in it's, her. It's
1: a half Vulcan, half human And the half Vulcan, half Romulan. Yeah. Going toe to toe with who's the least emotionless. Right, right, right. But there's a lot of,
0: like, where they kind of suggest that. Like, I liked in the beginning where she's fully grasping how fucked she is with this Kobayashi Maru and she's like, Mm -hmm. damn, you know, like under Mm -hmm. her breath. Like, they do a lot of this, like, alluding to that detail, but it's not actually in it. And I also think, and this is what I'm less sure about, uh, but I also think that Scotty, his uh, number one engineering student was like a nephew of his
1: oh which explains why he
0: was particularly shattered when he died and you know he would like because we thought it was is almost borderline funny that you would drag this guy's corpse all the way to the bridge to like lay at kirk's feet right like look what you did you know look what you did look what you did
1: i think it's also knowing that it's also a little ridiculous that kirk doesn't take that death more seriously it takes the death of Spock, his best friend, to actually shake him up and say, "Your co- your actions have consequences, man." Yeah. Scotty's nephew dies. No big deal. Yeah. Well, no I big mean, deal. I don't I'll know. Like your entire crew is getting ripped to shreds by falling the I, debris I, I, that, from the I, roof I, of the
0: bridge. <laughs> I think that's understandable. You grieve as a commander just in general. But, like, you know, if we had a coworker in Bald Move and their nephew died, I'd be sad for them. But then, like, if you died, I'd be a whole other level of sad. So. But, like,
1: I guess he. Just, this is a lesson he should have learned over and over and over again.
0: Well, I. that's the other thing is, I mean, I did see a lot of Star Trek and I see a lot of crew members die. But none of his, I guess, friends died. But
1: I did think it was right. incredible
0: that this military officer at one point says, I've never experienced a loss like this.
1: Yeah, like, and
0: I'm not even sure that's canon. If you if you take in all of like the novels and stuff, like you've really never lost a a, 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 a close friend. Yeah,
1: I mean, I when guess Spock explo- was his like best friend.
0: like l- put all the phasers and photon torpedoes to aside. Right, you're exploring space. Mm-hmm. There could be some kind of all powerful fucking weird ass face that comes out of a nebula and decides to eat half your crew because mm-hmm. it wants to see how you taste. <laughs> not not to mention the black holes and the gamma bursts and everything like like and yeah. then you got all hostile assholes trying to kill you. Like really you've never lost a purse close uh a close personal friend?
1: I guess not. Yeah. I mean the captain the captain maybe uh you know, doesn't get close to people the mm. way that uh some others might. Yeah. He's it's really him and the bridge crew and that's kinda it, the officers there. But there uh, are a lot
0: of good moments, like there are That sell, like you know, him, like McCoy and him talking about getting old and how he needs to go back yep. to his ship, and like then him and Spock having an almost identical, identical conversation. Mm-hmm. There's no, I mean, and that's that's the thing. Like Star Trek, especially the classic series, is all about the relationship between those three men. You know, the others were like it. You know, he he never was that close to like, Uhura or you know, uh, Sulu or Chekhov or even Scotty. Right. So it's I, always been him and Spock. Yeah. Like, I, I think it would almost be silly if he had, like, one more conversation. Like, you know, if is like, hey, I want to talk to you about how old you're getting and
1: how you should go back to being a starship commander. Maybe they should have got them all together at once and they come mm. to him. Yeah. Captain, you are getting really old. It's an intervention.
0: <laughs> you need to girdle up and, uh, yeah, I do think that that was a really cool, and they don't do this in a lot of, I mean, I guess Marvel is doing it now, but, like, a lot of the Star Trek movies, kind of, the the 2, 3, 4, especially is a nice little trilogy, because Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, Star Trek 3, they all become kind of renegades, and they they literally steal a starship to go out and find Spock, Mm -hmm. and they're outlaws and fugitives, and then they go save the whales, and then they come back to Earth with that little feather in their hat, but you know the end of that movie, uh, Kirk gets court-martialed and busted back down to captain.
1: Oh no! Which is yeah, like <laughs> yeah, that's
0: it's definitely one of those situations where everybody knew that that was actually mm-hmm. a, a kind of a a, promo- a a sly promotion. Yeah, but they finally got him back because you're right. You know, once you put Kirk in the admiral seat, what the hell? What can you do? Like that's a right. It, it's not no longer Star Trek. It's more like Star Trek administration, you know,
1: <laughs> Whereas, or
0: Star Trek budget meetings. You know,
1: I kind of feel like you could do an interesting one with John Luke Picard in The Admiralty. Hmm. I think that actually could be interesting because it's, he's more of a thinking, especially if it's like a, a House of Cards t-
0: kind of a political thriller. where right, He's like right. having to outthink his opponents, and he's like he's like treating with the Romulan ambassadors. And yeah, they're always trying to fuck him over. And... I think you could do it, but yeah, Kirk yeah. would just
1: double fist smash them. All. <laughs> yeah, he would. You <laughs> can't if do done that. With it. You can't do that. Uh, what about? So let's go back to the Kobayashi Maru real quick, okay? Because I wanted to talk about these first of all. Uh, we talked about how seriously shitty of an intro this might be in a Star Trek movie. If you, if you aren't sure if they're coming back, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but through the course of the movie, we hear about Kirk's trials in the Kobayashi Maru, right? Mm. And how he beat it. He essentially reprogrammed the test to where it was winnable. He cheated, as his son says, uh, and and Kirk says that they they passed him for that, you know. I mean, this is a famous story now. It's in the reboot, whatever.
0: It's almost it's getting to the point that it's, it's almost like the death of you know uh, Mar- Martha who's the Bruce Wayne's dad, Jonathan Wayne. Oh right, yeah. You know they 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 reenact it and have shown it so many times that yeah. it's
1: like okay. So it, so they say okay, he cheated and he got passed for that. Yeah. Now he clearly didn't learn the lesson that that test was trying to teach him and yet they passed him anyway for unconventional thinking. But he did
0: fail it twice. So he uh-huh. he went through the at least mental
1: he went through at least mental But he still the, says the he doesn't process. believe in the no win scenario.
0: I, yeah, and that's that's kinda dumb. Like I don't care if the no if you don't believe in the no win scenario, the no win scenario believes in you. <laughs> right. It's like you know, one of the elders used to say it's like it doesn't Satan doesn't care if you believe in him, he believes in you. Like there are no wins. I'm sorry. There are. There are no mm-hmm. win situations, especially,
1: again, when you're out in a cold fucking vacuum of space. Right. But I, I don't know. Do you pass a student who cheats a test in a novel way? Like how do you not pass James T. Kirk? I don't know. I mean, it seems like you you the, the test is designed to teach a certain lesson, and if they don't learn the lesson, they fail. The but test. you could
0: argue, I could see, I could see them arguing. Well, he did learn. He was fa- forced to confront defeat, and mm-hmm. then he came back and and beat it because he he's and I, I don't know. Like
1: that's then why didn't they pass him the first two times? Well, I don't. If he learned, I don't think that's
0: your final. That, that's not the final Starfleet exam. I don't think. That's no, just but one he, of the but he took do. the Kobayashi Maru three times, right? Right. But you can't pass it. Like everyone fails it. Everyone fails it.
1: So you take it over and over again until well, you pass Kirk. all the other that's, things. That's fucking Kirk. Because I don't know why did he like, request it. See, like I want to do it again. Yeah, I do. I think.
0: That, and and the professor prize like, uh, look, this is designed to be an unwinnable exercise. And mm-hmm. Kirk's like, challenge accepted. And then he comes back. He's like, look, I got it this time, buddy. And then he cheats and wins. And then it's like, aha, here's your commendation <laughs> for. But again, he right. already went through the psychological process of losing, which I think is what's important to Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. I'm just making shit up, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't have. Starfleet regulations in front of me.
1: Yeah, and I forget how, how it goes in the reboots. But
0: uh, Reboots, there's a lot of apple eating. I know there's a lot of apple eating in the Kobayashi Maru
1: simulator. There's some apple eating here, yeah. Was he eating Plenty an apple? It. He ate an apple when he was, I think it was an apple oh, when he was telling, him. when he's in the Genesis cave, Yeah. and he's telling oh, them, like, I don't believe really... in the no-wins. So that's you know. a really
0: clever call- callback, then having him chomping an apple when he actually beats yeah. it.
1: I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't realize it either. Well, let me ask you this what does romulan ale taste like i was i have that in my notes like <laughs> what is romulan ale stronger than like everclear it must it definitely has a distinct flavor
0: yeah or maybe it is even like a different fucking chemical property to it
1: okay like it's it it's it's, it's not, not one of the 5 Flavor profiles we understand. Or well, I'm just it.
0: saying that, like you know, it might not be like ethyl alcohol. Like, what if it's uh. got a little bit of like you know THC or psilocybin quality to it?
1: Like, you're, so he's high this whole movie. That's, that's... <laughs> he drinks, he takes a shot of <laughs> Romulan ale, and then boom, he's off to the moon.
0: Yeah, actually, the uh this the Genesis simulation had no computer graphics in it. It was actually just <laughs> like you know a dry spreadsheet statistical. That analysis. explains the planet creation at the end. <laughs> yeah, none of this actually happened. Yeah. Um, but no, I, 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 that's the only thing I think of because like, you can only make so strong an alcohol. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's some kind of alien, you know, alkaline property to this that yeah. does a little bit of extra woo woo to you <laughs> because <laughs> that face he made was not the, it was, was the face of a man who was, was touching the face of God, I guess. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you, are we to the point in the podcast where you just start propounding I think so. questions to each
1: other? Yeah. What is the fascination with wooden ships? Oh, in, like, Kirk's uh, quarters, his office? I mean, it it makes more
0: sense now that I've read about, you know, Nicholas Meyer and him wanting to intentionally make this more naval, but they've kept that going. Um, It's just weird, because, like, why would they stop... And and I, I guess it would maybe make sense if, like, you were only going to have all the enterprises that have ever been in human, human history. So you go back to, like, the old, uh, you know, yeah. wooden ship, and then you got the aircraft carrier, and then you mm-hmm. got the NCC-1701 and 1701A. But, like, really, like, why why would you st- st- I, 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 why would you stop there? Why wouldn't you have like a Viking ship or something why wouldn't if you want to go back to truly ancient mariners if you feel yeah. akin to those guys why wouldn't you go back and and have something other than like european square rig sailing ships
1: I don't know it seems to be a fascination of all the captains too right yeah. like I understand that you're piloting a essentially what is a ship uh, a seafaring ship in space but I mean Picard's got that bug mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco was the only one who avoided it. He really did the baseball thing. Yeah. <laughs> he went heavy into earth, earth pastimes.
0: But we've, we've talked about that before where it's kind of always slightly odd that classical music still means the same thing it yeah. does today. Like mm-hmm. when you'd think that there'd be some Elvis or, and I know they subvert that a little bit in like first contact and in yep. the star Trek reboots, but there is like weird, I, like they go back a couple hundred years to like the Enlightenment period, and like that's like universally good. And you know, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing really, there's nothing from 20 or 21st century, no, United, the, uh a human culture that you would want to experience. Yeah, I guess,
1: I guess this whole era is going to be just a blank spot in history, you know, it's going to yeah. be just a forgotten age. I don't You're know why, like no Frank Sinatra. The, the most, like I'm not important saying they're going to be listening inventions.
0: to fucking Metallica and right. you know Megadeth, but like no Frank Sinatra.
1: I guess not. Yeah,
0: kind of crazy. Um,
1: okay. How about this? Oh, the yeah. the uniforms. Let's talk about the uniforms. How do you think they stack up against some of the other uniforms? I really like this era of uniform. There's a lot of corrugation, it. like so much corrugation. they their, their turtlenecks are neck corrugated, looks uncomfortable. It does. And it, look, I don't it almost looks like have you seen the bubble wrap that wraps around like liquor bottles oh yeah 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 that those are shipped in it uh-huh. looks like they're wearing one of those
0: um I also don't understand how the double breasted thing works like when they when when they drop a flap and let like their chest flap open oh. is that because they're too hot but it's actually not exposing any of their skin it's just like right you know i I, I don't get it like, that just looks, it makes them look sloppy. It doesn't make them look cooler. Like, if they open, fully open the thing right. to where it just hung open, then, like, okay, I
1: get I get it. But. I have a jacket that's like that, that you can do that with, and I never understood its purpose.
0: Because it does, does it, does it make you feel cooler? Like, fractionally cooler?
1: Mm, maybe slightly.
0: Does it make you feel cooler in, like, the fond sense? It definitely. All right. There <laughs> you go. Well, then it that's does. why Captain, that's why James D. Kirk would do it. Uh, yeah, I, I do like these because they vary like it's hard to trace a line from like naval uniforms from like right right now, if you want to go back and look at all of uh, the, the United States Navy, you can kind of direct, draw a direct line between what they used to wear. And I, I know they've sure. all gone to the weird like everybody wears like the fucking BDUs with the you know, the military dot the mil dot patterns and stuff now. Hmm. And like you're just daily use, but like if if you go to the dress, you can you can definitely d- a plot a course from the, the, here to there. And I think that's also you could go like Star Trek two through six, same deal. Like, that looks like some kind of military uniform. But the old series uniforms are just kind of like pajamas with a velour top. Yeah. And the next generation that looks like kind of pajamas, velour Uh pajamas, those don't look like any kind of uniform that I would recognize.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they do. (laughs) There seems to be a big drastic change somewhere. Uh, Now, the first contact uniforms, I feel, are more... Yeah, headed more toward that tradition, or again. even
0: like the later Deep Space Nine era, where they go with like the more solid, like you know, outer jacket with okay,
1: yeah, so uh-huh. some,
0: same same thing. And the Picard even started doing some of that in the yeah. later Next Generation. Like some of those look a little bit more military. Now, I guess because you know the Earth is not the lead, even though it's the capital of the Federation. Like the the the, the you'd think that a lot of the Federation aesthetic would come from like Vulcan. And some of the other allies. So maybe there's maybe the pajama stuff is more like Vulcan influence. Those, okay. those are those are actually if if, if you look at, uh, you know, 17th century Vulcan uniforms, you can you can trace a clear line from <laughs> where we're there. To, and then then Earth is like, you know what? Fucked pajamas. You know, if, every 10 years they take turns like uh-huh. it's it's back to, uh, uh, you know, human traditions and they go back to that stuff I, but otherwise i i do think these are one of the cooler uniforms
1: though i do too uh, what sp- about the coats that they wear that's like, i was like man though i think
0: those those away coats they wear are fucking badass like i, I almost too. wish i could get away with wearing those on the street
1: yeah not on the street i, I think you'd be laughed at i think yeah,
0: but I, I first i mean if you I don't care don't really sure care. yeah you could definitely cool get they, away they with look it effective too like that looks like it a does, pretty yeah. good all-weather jacket
1: yeah I think so
0: and of course as you pointed out Kirk would definitely pop his collar for
1: sure he's the only one
0: Savick and McCoy you know they got their collars laid down like they're supposed Mm -hmm. to but he's got it like he's you know like like Cobra Commander's winter gear yeah winter winter line of fashion and then the doctor at the end she's got
1: her collar popped I think that's because she's
0: wearing Kirk's coat that's his letter jacket oh really
1: oh yeah is his permanently popped did he get like rods installed into the collar he's just never laid it down
0: (laughs) <laughs> like, the col- the column must be popped. The collar must be popped, yeah. Hmm. All right. Did you think that Chekhov should have soft peddled his disdain for Khan just a little bit when they first met him? Yeah. Like, right off the bat going, you, you condemned, vile, <laughs> blood-sucking criminal. Like, like right. would not you be like, oh, my God, Khan, so nice to see you. Uh-huh. What the hell? Did you guys tr- switch planets? How'd you survive? Well, we left what? you out a paradise. What's going on? Like, But no, he's just right away, like going at him, hammer and tongue and that's why you get an eel in your ear Pavel
1: yeah I don't remember what his uh, I don't remember what his feelings on Khan were in the original series but can I call
0: bullshit on those eels killing like half of Khan's crew
1: why I well, mean, you're sleeping, some eel babies crawl in your ear.
0: But it'd be one thing if it was pain-free, them wriggling your ear, but ac- apparently that's incredibly painful. Like, the eel's body yeah. is half-exposed while you're screaming, mm-hmm. so I think you just wake up and claw at your ear and pull it and then just crush that thing. <laughs> Maybe. You know, like vampire bats get by because they creep up on you and they're like, there's some kind of anesthetic quality Mm -hmm. to their saliva. Is it deadens? Because like, if you could fucking feel them biting you, you'd be like, what the fuck, and you'd kill them. (laughs) Sure. Like, I I don't know. It's it's like either they either their entry to your cerebral cortex is pain free, or else they go extinct because their whole life cycle ecosystem is stupid and crazy.
1: The other thing about that is. They never acknowledge the fact that this thing goes in through his eardrum, right? Like, his whole ear canal is ruined. Yeah. And they never acknowledge the fact that he now can't hear. It's canon. He can't hear out of that side of his ears.
0: Yeah. Especially if the eel goes in his right
1: ear, comes out his left, and just, just double fucks him. Do they ever, like, do a joke where Chekhov can't really hear very well? I don't think so. He screams a lot. In future movies. He can't he say the he, he can't enunciate V, any kind of V <laughs> the, the, sound. Yeah, it's a real bad Russian accent. Yeah. It's well, not
0: great. What are you going to do? If you asked me to do a Russian accent, it wouldn't be any better. It'd probably be well, a big deal true. worse. Yeah. Uh, I also get a kick out of the fact that uh, Khan's eugenics war uh, mm-hmm. culminated in 1996. Yep. Yep. And then now, like, it's starting to get to the point where, like, all this stuff, like, we've sold, like, you know, 2001, 2010, mm-hmm. whatever year the Terminator took place, like, all that shit has just passed by. Like, I if you set, and they just, was just I, I don't know, like... It's hard to judge because in the 60s, we went to the moon. Mm -hmm. So maybe Roddenberry's like, okay, 96, we'll have some starships going. He didn't see that everything would just slam to a fucking stop. Right. But, like, seriously, if you're setting something in the near future where it's involving space travel, you got to kick it more than 30 years. Oh, yeah. I think we're smart enough now that we realize that.
1: I mean, when I hear about, like, you know, SpaceX and stuff, wanting to do these Mars colonization missions in the next x amount of years Mm -hmm. i'm like okay take the number they're saying and multiply it by at least five Mm -hmm. at least five because that's what it's going to take i mean we're nowhere near star trek technology oh no not even close
0: it's actually starting to become a little bit of a bummer that it's kind of a done deal that star trek technology is never going to be viable is it what? I mean, I just the more I read, it seems like you're never going to be able to exceed the speed of light. Oh, okay, yeah. And you're never going to be able to transport matter over any kind of real meaningful distances. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to have faster light communication, so... I don't know. Star Trek-style culture. Now, that's, that's as not we the, understand
1: it today, you that, know? It could change. It yeah, yeah, could always change.
0: Yeah, I guess. It's just, like I said, the more we learn, it the, the seems like there the, the, some of these limits are, are are harder than... It's not like... The sound barrier, for example, mm-hmm. um, it seems like there's more like fundamental laws of physics will not allow this stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. Again, not a theoretical physicist. Maybe I'm wrong. But, yeah, um, and that that's not that's not to say that you can't have other cool space opera type stuff that doesn't involve faster than light travel. Like there's other equally cool like generational starship kind of things that I think they're starting to play with. Like that was the whole conceit behind passengers, right? I haven't seen passengers yet, but it seems like they were on board a generational starship. Uh, There's a lot of cool stories you can tell and stuff like that.
1: No, they actually weren't. They were on board a cryogenically frozen. Uh, they they were cryogenically I was, frozen. R- I
0: shouldn't say generational stars because that's, okay. that's a starship where everyone's alive and you right. just actually reproduce to keep everything going. So and every-
1: you won't see the end of the journey, but your offspring will. Yeah, and like maybe their
0: offspring. Frozen. Or but but right. yeah, it'll take a hundred years to get there. You won't make it, but yeah, you will be fathering and mothering the crew that does. Um. Another another question: Why does everyone freak the fuck out about Savick helming the ship? Oh, when they t- she takes it out of space dock, her responsibility is to tell Sulu, uh-huh. who they just mentioned in the movie, is an experienced helmsman who is knows what he's about. Her one responsibility is to tell Sulu to go forward slowly. <laughs> and 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 Kirk and McCoy are like, oh my god, can't she fucking handle it? <laughs> right? You know?
1: Right? What? It, it, there's a moment. So I compare this to like, uh, like Starship if she says, troopers. if she
0: says reverse all ahead full, like Sulu would be like, Captain? I mean, he wouldn't do it, would he? <laughs> right. Like, is that the danger? Like, he just is that they conditioned Helmsman in the future to <laughs> obey
1: every command. Sulu, go forward, quarter, impulse, speed, straight ahead. Yeah, Kirsty Alley. Now Alley's- take a, a righteous right turn, Sulu. Are you sure about <laughs> Launch that? Launch
0: full spread of photon torpedoes. Uh, you know, like <laughs> if Kirsty Alley is sitting in that seat, I can yes. I
1: can see, but she's just right.
0: relaying commands to and, the guy who knows what he's doing. And that's
1: why the one in Starship Troopers works, right? Because the experienced commander is giving instructions to the the helmsman, uh-huh. the, uh, who I think is Daniel Richards, is that her name? Oh yeah yeah. Uh, in that movie, it, it works because she's an experienced, and you're not sure she can actually even do Denise it. Richards, isn't Denise it? Richards, Denise yeah. Richards, yeah. Right right. Or like in
0: Galaxy Quest, where the helmsman has no idea what he's doing, and he's just <laughs> oh, <that's> scraping <laughs> that. Yeah, like that works e- either way. But you just can't have a person essentially backseat driving. Right. That's not the danger. That's yeah, not the danger. The
1: danger is the helmsman not knowing what the fuck. Settle to down, do. Kirk. I
0: know it's got your pulse going that a woman's helming a starship. <laughs> right. That's also funny. That like, interesting that like, two hundred years in the future, we'd still have a lot of the same. You know, we were like, I you know, were. Is it unusual to have a female commanding a starship?
1: Oh, I don't know. Have uh, we ever seen? Was a female there like commanding some s- kind of reaction that they gave to her? Being in the seats, I'm just or... the fact that they're freaking the fuck out. I'm just saying it's like
0: it's. I think oh. it felt like a dated '80s. Oh my god, woman driver joke that they put uh, into the 24th century. I, I just knew she was century.
1: she was a trainee. She was a cadet. And yeah, so it yeah, was that like, too. And you know she had never done it before. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It doesn't seem particularly complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, man, did
0: they not feel like the audience is going to get anything to pick down because or put down? Because I thought when Kirk and Spock are having that quote unquote encoded message that oh, right, the way they play that is so artificial that it makes Khan seem stupid with
1: his superior intellect. Yeah,
0: yeah, like I'm laughing at the superior intellect. Yes, I am, I'm laughing at the spirit. Your uncooked chicken breast chest and your superior <laughs> intellect can go fuck itself, Khan. Come at me in the nebula. Yep, uh, I did like Kirk's Mac talk though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he he really gets inside the head of Khan here. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he baits him into the nebula. He baits him to to play the game on his terms. Yeah. He he kinda cheats the system in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is almost the Kobayashi Maru
0: here. It's just crazy how like easily manipulated some thin skinned right? moron is when you give him command of something. Kind of yeah. frightening. Uh The other thing... Okay, okay, let's talk about psychology for a quick second.
1: I don't think McCoy's insults are as effective as he wants them to be. Because I think when you call Spock a green-blooded, inhuman, whatever he was going to call him, he's like, those are facts. I do, in fact, have green Uh blood. I am, in fact, inhuman. Like... (laughs) Well, I, I think Spock needs to get deeper into the psychology of Spock – or McCoy needs to get deeper into the psychology of Spock to really get under his skin.
0: What's funny, because if you – they should be effective, and they're also kind of horrifying, because in the Star Trek canon, it's kind of established that – You know that's something that Spock feels self-conscious about—the fact his dual nature and he's torn between two, and he's got these emotions and this drives that he doesn't quite—he can't fully suppress—and he feels like he's a failure as a Vulcan, and he feels like he's a a repressed and half-lived human, and that's kind of like the thing that makes him tick. Mm -hmm. So, like McCoy calling him a constantly, essentially slightly high-minded versions of half-breed—that's not cool, man.
1: Yeah, but McCoy's a fucking racist. Spock aspires to be the the inhuman green blooded Vulcan. Right. Like that's his highest aspiration. Right. So calling him that I think is just pretty flattering. (laughs) I, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. If I know you were that to call him, like, yeah, half breed or
0: Spock doesn't rise to debate. I'm just, it, it's just still kind of crazy that McCoy is slinging that kind of just purely That's racial true. bile towards yeah. this guy. And yet, McCoy who has never deserves it.
1: Maybe one of the best jokes in the movie when uh, Kirk and and uh, the other Vulcan, Kirstie Kirk Alley. Yeah. Uh, are in the elevator and they 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 stop the elevator and the doors open and Kirk's like who's been holding up the damn elevator <laughs> McCoy yeah or, yeah McCoy <laughs> Jesus. because Kirk the alley like pauses the
0: elevator to talk to I I thought like for a brief second um like, did that, is there going to be like some kind of weird she's got an infatuation with him angle oh boy. Uh, Because they kind of played it like he's like, oh, you change your hair, and oh, I'm wearing my off duty, you know, come hither robe, and Uh I'm I'm pulling the emergency plug. That's just Kirk testing the waters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: She wasn't having any of it, but
0: Uh Kirk's
1: always going to try.
0: Well, no, she's the one that initiated it all, but it, it never came. I think she was just genuinely curious about this Kobayashi Maru shit. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the mixed metaphors in here? Uh, Scotty says he's bypassed a reactor like a Christmas tree. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and then Spock immediately chimes in with sauce for the goose. Yeah. And I
1: have no idea what that means I either. I don't
0: either. I don't. I, I think like sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, which you're like is usually kind of what you would say to when someone's. Like like if you did something to me unfair and I did it immediately right back to you and you complained, I'd be like a uh. well, sauce for the goose size. It's not quite fitting, and maybe that's because he's a Vulcan, he doesn't quite understand human metaphor. Uh. But it's not quite the exact same
1: thing to do in the con. <laughs> right. It was just it was very confusing to me. But so I found out something interesting on Wikipedia about uh. a tale of two cities. Uh, is it all about sauces for goose? It is. It's about how to goose a sauce, <laughs> or or sauce a goose. One or the other. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No, actually, in the book, Dickens uses a lot of literal English translations of French idioms, mm-hmm. and it was very confusing to the people reading it uh-huh. uh, at when he, at the time that he wrote it. Right. And so, I think that's actually really smart dialogue based on huh. that sort of thing from the book.
0: Well, there's a couple other smart things, because I remember seeing um, when they're kind of like Chekhov is feasting his eyes all about and looking all over Khan's personal quarters. There's prominently a checkerboard set up with actually checker pieces. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Wouldn't Khan at least play chess? Right. Like really super intelligent guys are just playing endless games of checkers. That's like one of the most like if yeah. you and I played checkers for an hour. We would m- m- get a stalemate like 90 percent of the time. It's pretty much an yeah. easy to solve game. But then at the end, they kind of also say, like, to expose his weakness as a naval commander, that he's not had enough experience to think in three-dimensional terms. Right. And I wonder if they're trying – he was trying to suggest very subtly that, like, Khan plays checkers and Kirk plays chess.
1: I think so, yeah. Um, which is surprising given his vast intellect, uh, his artificial intellect. i I don't know. I mean, it's like – you know, I used to really enjoy playing Risk a mm-hmm. lot. Right. Uh, but that's not a very advanced strategy game. No, you, it'd be hard to go back to playing Risk at this point. Right. So if I, if I was playing Risk and Kirk was playing, you know, even Axis and Allies is a pretty bad example, but mm-hmm. like War Machine or something, mm-hmm. then, then we're talking about it two entirely different things. Well, in this universe,
0: literally a thing called four-dimensional chess exists. So, like, he could just be playing three-dimensional chess, and he could still make the same, like, you know, I think they call it three-dimensional
1: chess. Don't they? The the actual game. But you're right, like, a three-dimensional game being Uh, played is automatically a four-dimensional game. Right. Because time is involved. That's true. And if time isn't involved, it's not much of a game at all. No, it's just a static snapshot in
0: time. Right. Um... So the final scene where – well, not the final scene, but the climax of the third act where Spock is sticking his hands in the reactor and fixing it with his oven mitts on, mm-hmm. what the hell is he actually doing? Uh, is he sticking his hands into a matter-antimatter reaction reactor? Like, what the hell? Is he, like, changing so. spark plugs? Is he real – I wish they told me what the hell he was doing because it just looks like he's sticking his hands into an out-of-control <laughs> elemental – universal furnace right and how do you fix that i don't know i like don't know he's what he's aligning the lithium crystals and he has to yank him out of the matrix and like so he's just getting bathed in radiation and shit but like you at know. least show him
1: swap apart right does he no, I no, stuck, no, 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 He doesn't. Hand. Yeah, he just. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like, yeah. There you at go. At least show him do that.
0: Right. Like there's, there's like a, he pulls out a dark, burnt out dilithium crystal, and he right. pulls a fresh one out. He pulls but he just literally puts on the oven mitts and sticks his face down there for a couple seconds. Yeah, and then puts and, the cap back on, and then all the things go back to nominal, and pff, they take off, no problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's part of that that syndrome that they have of not explaining anything mm-hmm. or hand waving it away, which was fine back then.
0: Yeah. And like I said, uh, the this this is the finest Star Trek ever ever made, in my opinion. Second best mm-hmm. on uh, runner up for you, so it's, real close. It's, though. And the other thing is, you, you if you're just watching this movie for entertainment value, it it really works. We mm-hmm. I tend to watch these things with like my fanboy hat on because I I enjoy that. Like one of my. Uh, there used to be Star Starlog. Every year, they'd have a like a, a volume to come out with like the best of Starlog, where it'd have like all these different essays from the previous year. And my favorites were huh. always the ones would like that would eviscerate like whatever the latest Star Trek is from a very technical and like canon and right, you know, just like a new kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I always enjoyed those good-natured like ass kickings that you would give something that you love and sure, only someone yeah. that loves it that much could kick its ass that hard right
1: right you have to be knowledgeable about it
0: yeah you have to have dedicated a lot you of you have life to give a thing. shit about the science and the technology and the characters to get the inconsistencies uh but that's the thing like i don't think any of the, the characters here just fucking work and they do this yeah. is the last time we get like classic spock for a good long while like kind of arguably till you get to star trek six Right, because he's non-existent in Star Trek Three. He's like got some kind of screw loose in Star Trek Four. Uh-huh. Star Trek Five, I've only seen once. That's a
1: real bad. We movie. should
0: sit down and watch that and like do a live watch on it because I, I, I got I remember God, what does God need a starship? Yep. Or yep. I mean, or I know Ahura's <laughs> fan dance, and there's this really funny part where Scotty says, "I know the starship like the back of my hand," and he smacks his head on a girder and knocks himself out. Is that the one where they're
1: stranded in the mining colony or whatever? No, that's Star Trek six. That's
0: six. Okay, five is where they're going to the center of the universe, and they got Spock's. Uh, uh, they got Spock's brothers, half brother, Cybok, who's some space Spock's hippie. Half brother And They're going to go oh meet my God. God. And it turns out, who's some kind of vaguely criminal entity that's trying to get yeah. off the
1: planet. Yeah. I wow. Okay, that's a real. Literally, I, all I remember from that movie is what does God need with a starship? That, it's got to be. I mean, I remember
0: it even as a teenager, thinking this is a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, this is a real piece of shit letdown of a Star Trek movie.
1: I guess one of the one of the minor complaints I have with this movie is that every other line seems to be someone prompting someone else for their line. Like Kirstie Alley, I can't even count the number of times she. In a, in a completely silent scene, in a scene where mm. she should be either walking away or asking a question, she turns as if she's going to say something. Yeah. And she says, Admiral? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Kirk goes off on some, like, right. just really, I don't know, introspective sort of uh-huh. soliloquy. And, and it's like she was just there to prompt him for his line. She's begging the dialogue. Yes. And I really got annoyed by that. I have to say that I, I think thought... it's a flaw in the actual dialogue.
0: It breaks my heart that Christy Alley blew up in terms of her fame uh, in between this and the next movie because they, they keep Savick around. And then they also had the ha- the Vulcan woman in Star Trek Six who turns out to be the traitor. That would have been a really cool arc for her character to take. Like that's hmm. making a character out of whole cloth. Um, and Kirstie Alley did just, a, you know, she's a pretty intelligent actor, I think. And she did enough of that to make her interesting, even though we knew next to nothing about her and they cut out some of the most interesting backstory, mm-hmm. but it'd be cool to introduce a fresh character like that. That gives you a little bit of, you know, new insight into Spock's character. And she could kind of like grow up in, and, uh, and, and be interesting in her own right. Yeah. And keep a little bit of youth and vitality into the cast. Um, it's too bad that you know she had better things to do, because Savic got recast in three with a much less interesting actor, and then got written out, and then they had some. I can't even remember the Vulcan's name, the how, sabotage one.
1: How uh, how big were these movies back in the, in the day in their day? They were like
0: were they, blockbusters. They were like Star Trek Two made seventy eight million dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, but yeah. it, like I guess it was a shit ton of money back in the day.
1: That's weird. I, I don't know why she wouldn't want to reprise her role.
0: Well, I don't know because she hit it big in Cheers, and she had that. That's a big commitment, and
1: yeah, I guess so. She was big on TV then. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of you know I as far as science fiction goes, this. This uh series, Star Trek as a whole, mm-hmm. is definitely one of the more formative ones for me. It mm-hmm. Easily easily like most formative tied kind of with Star Wars. Uh you know, Battlestar Galactica was kind of before and after my era yeah. of of formative sci fi years. Um Yeah, I I really a lot of other stuff on.
0: I have a hard time saying which one I like best. I mean, I think Star Wars is that was like my first love. Like I was like my like I loved that as a little boy, Mm -hmm. and Star Trek I came in a little bit later in life. Not much. Like I was in fifth, sixth grade when I started getting really into Star Trek. But
1: um, well, we've talked about this. We did a Blue Yonder on. Star Trek versus Star Wars, right? Well, way back in the day, and we talked about how Star. We said, okay, which would you rather have happen? Mm -hmm. Eliminate all of your knowledge of Star Trek or Star Wars, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think we, you and I, certainly both picked uh, Star Trek because, as we saw it, it is more of a series for adults, series who can under or people who can understand. The messages of the show. Whereas Star Wars is a fun, fantastical adventure movie. Yeah. uh, Which is awesome in its own right, and I love it. But, you know, as an adult, I think Star Trek is more affecting for me.
0: Yeah. Now, the one thing I, as I continue to get older, I continue to see that Star Trek kind of gets dated. Because, like, some of the, like, if you go back, especially the old series, mm-hmm. and you've got, like, where the bombshell is that Kirk is kissing Uhura, mm-hmm. you know, that was obviously really controversial and progressive in his day. It's, like, kind of ho-hum, and then you go back to the Next Generation, I'm thinking that random plot where Riker visits the planet of Androgyny, and he falls in love with a. Of, of one of the creatures that, huh. and they're not allowed to be male or female, so it's like this commentary and, and forbidden homosexual relationships, and that's kind of like passe. And sure, so it's like that's the thing. Is like yes, it is more interesting, and it does it has more of a message and has more of adult themes, but also those themes constantly get you know ground into historical grist, so it's more kind yeah, of almost unintentional comedy or irrelevant by the time. So I don't, I don't know, but yeah. And the other side of the argument is there's a hell of a lot more Star Trek to enjoy,
1: that's true, yeah,
0: but i I guess we didn't see it coming that they'd continue to make Star Trek or Star Wars, like they're like that that's just like the Disney assembly line is a full on full force, and they're gonna crank out one a year, so it'd be interesting in ten years if we'd revisit that topic if our, our if our answer would stay the same,
1: right, and you got Clone Wars and yeah. all, all kinds of stuff, and also like you got the like,
0: novels and- Star Trek's also very uneven. Like, sure. if you're talking about the old series, Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine, fully but half you of that can't is straight-up
1: garbage. You can't tell me that Star Wars isn't also entirely uneven. Well. Half of Star Wars is straight-up garbage. Yeah,
0: that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's unfortunate. And becoming less true. Um, sure, yeah. But that's almost like that's, yeah, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> you got me there, Jim. All right. The topic's dead, Jim.
1: Yep, I think we killed it.
0: Uh, anything else you want to say about Star Trek 2? The Yeah.
1: Nah. I do thoroughly enjoy this movie every time I watch it though.
0: All right, Josh. Uh speaking of thoroughly enjoyed, I've uh I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the experience of your little podcasting trilogy. Um if not the experience of watching all of them. I did enjoy the podcast we made, and it's uh a lot of fun watching Star Trek here in the office with my buddy. Uh thanks for commissioning that. Uh again, special thanks to Josh Wilson and Nubis Twenty One on the forums. Um, and we will be back with another commission podcast before, you know, it, and hopefully get the the shop fixed here real soon. Um, that's been, uh, longer than I would like, but I've been super busy with moving and stuff and that continues to be the case. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting it back so we can start taking commissions again. But the good news is slash bad news is we also had a huge backlog, so you're not really losing any ground, so Mm -hmm. Um we'll 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 let you know when you get it going again. So again, thanks. We'll be back with another commission podcast real soon and we'll see you then.